look at where the numbers at, where do we want them to be, how to grow them. And there is a sense, regardless of sometimes of how we want to posture ourselves, whenever you, when you start any endeavor, you want it to go well. And you For want, sure. yeah. if you're selling something or you're putting something out into the world, you want people to respond. And even if you have modest expectations, it doesn't change the different disappointments we have to grapple with, particularly when you feel you've done a lot of effort. Yeah, there's there's your expectations and then there's reality and then there's managing your thoughts when your expectations don't always meet the reality. Hello, Scaling Therapy Practice listeners. This is James Marland. I am going to talk to you a little bit about disappointment. After re-listening to this episode, I felt like I have a lot to share about disappointment just because I felt the weight and burden of my own unmet expectations in my life and the business. And I really, I think if I would say, you know, be honest, I have struggled with disappointment, bitter disappointment in some of the work and business things. So I wanted to give you some of my tips on how I've been dealing with my disappointment before we get into the show. And you'll hear some of these in the show. But my first tip is normalize disappointment, which means disappointment is a part of being an entrepreneur. You know, disappointment is part of taking risks. If everything was safe, if you could eliminate 100% of the disappointment in life, you would not go anywhere. You would not take any actions. You'd find a place to be stable, and then you would stay there, whether you like that place or not. So disappointment is normal. It's a part of growing. It's a part of trying things new. But it doesn't have to mean that it has to keep you stuck. My, my second tip for how I handle disappointment is I have a list of positive affirmations. I really do. I think I learned this from Zig Ziglar and a hundred other self-help books that I re read. And uh, I, growing up, somehow I have negative thoughts in my head about myself, about my business, about my body image, just tons of negative thoughts, which in honesty, aren't, were not very true. They're, they are not very true thoughts. They take the worst and put it under a magnifying glass and maximize those things. So one of the books, finally, I finally took the advice of one of the books I read. I think it was actually a Mike McCallowitz book. And it said, write the negative thoughts on the left side and label them lies or half-truths. And then write a, draw a line down the center of the page and on the other side, put truths or reality. And so every negative thought I had, you know, you're never going to make it. You're not making sales. Nobody's going to listen to your show. You're going to make a fool of yourself. But like I put all those thoughts on the left side. And on the right side, I just wrote or reframed the truth. You know, every you have no listeners. Well, guess what? Everybody has no listeners when you start. You're, you have no sales. Everybody has no sales when you start. Just reframing those negative thoughts was immensely helpful. Another thing that's helpful, another tip, is having written goals and a written purpose. Sometimes when there's so much to do, like it's a forest of tasks, a forest of, you know, you're lost in the forest of your own work. 
you don't know where you're going. It is very helpful to rise above it and to have those written goals and your written purpose out there so that you can focus on those main things that get you towards the direction that you're going. One of one of the time one of the things, you know, when I get really discouraged in business and I'm like, well, nothing matters, it's because I'm not focusing on my goals. I'm not heading in a direction. I'm just lost in my work. Those are the days that, you know, I check my email more, right? Or I post my social images for like social media production or pub social media promotion. And then I accidentally in quotes stick on Facebook for another 15 minutes or 20 minutes. So have those written goals and purpose and put them in a place that they're easily seen and review them regularly. Another thing that helps me is a supportive community. I belong to the Sidecraft network and we meet monthly for just powwow meetings and talk, helping each other. But also throughout the month, we talk. Gordon set up something called Circle. It's a circle group. It's outside of Facebook, so I don't get distracted. <laughs> and we chat and we ask questions and we review our material with each other. It's really good. So find a supportive community that will support you in your endeavors. This last, last two things, well, the last one took a lot of work. Because I knew I had a lot of disappointment, some un, unreal, like it was unreal guilt and, and some real shame. So I had some guilt and shame, which kept me, you know, the negative thoughts and disappointment. So my, my tip here is have a supportive spouse. But to get to the supportive spouse, I had to work on myself. You know, I had to stop being so negative. And so I went to a recovery group. Our church runs a recovery group called Regeneration which is amazing. And I'm a leader in that group now. And we we just work the steps of dealing with our issues. And I dealt with some of my issues and that made my home life better. And so now I have, you know, we have a language to talk to, talk through about our struggles and disappointments and our inner thoughts that we didn't have before. And it's a much more supportive home life for me. And that definitely helps with dealing with the disappointments when you have somebody in your corner that understands you. And my last tip about dealing with disappointment is having an outside, an outlet outside of your therapy or your work or your normal circle. So I run a board game group. <laughs> I like board games. I like card games. I like getting people together and having salty snacks. And so we get together twice a month. And we play board games and I get to see people come. And part of my therapy, I guess, is just connecting with other people who are disconnected. People are looking for a place to be accepted. And so I create this board game group for people who want to meet new people, have fun, meet new people. And I like it because I like board games, but I think it also meets a need for other people. So I have this outlet outside of my normal work. You know, if I was just podcasting or course creating or content creating all the time, and that's where I got 100% of my life value, then, you know, what happens when you're disappointed? More than just your business crushes, your life starts going down. So those are some of my tips on disappointment scaling. I felt like I had a lot to say about it after I listened to the episode, just knowing it's one of my, it's one of my issues. You know, we all have our issues. Well, this is, these disappointments and negative thoughts is one of my big issues. So 
Hope you enjoy our conversation between David and I. And if you have any comments or questions about this appointment, you want me to uh, highlight anything, send me a text or send me a, an email. My email's in the show notes, and I'll be happy to respond, put it in an episode, or maybe make a blog post out of it to help more people. All right, on with the show. Hi there, Lisa Mustard here. And if you don't know me yet, I'm the person behind the therapy show with Lisa Mustard, which is part of the Psychcraft network of podcasts. And I'm so proud to be a part of this network along with James and the great work he's doing. And if you haven't discovered the therapy show with Lisa Mustard, you can find me wherever you listen to your podcast. I'd love for you to join me as I interview seasoned and knowledgeable talk therapists to glean valuable insights, techniques, and tools that you can apply to your practice and your life. Plus, some of my episodes qualify for continuing education contact hours. So be sure to check it all out over at lisamustard.com for all my episodes. And you can get your first continuing education contact hour for free. That's lisamustard.com. Welcome to the Scaling Therapy Practice. This is James Marland with Dr. David Hall. Hello, David. Hey, James. This week, we're going to talk about disappointment and scaling, maybe when things aren't going as expected. It's going to be a great episode. But first, let's talk about our tool tech or tip of the week. David, what is your... Well, you know, I wanted to share, you know, as we're doing the podcast, most people that do podcasts listen to podcasts, I would assume. I certainly yeah. do. There's several that I particularly enjoy. Probably my favorite, particularly in the way of business, is the online course show with Jacques Hopkins. A great, and shout a great out, yeah. show. Yeah, shout out to Jacques if you might catch this at any point. But I want to share about his latest, which is episode 193. And he's interviewing this guy, Matt Reninsky, uh, or which his nickname is Rudd, who has an online course about book writing. And the reason I wanted to share this, it, it's a great episode, a lot of great episodes, but he shares about having an online course, one online course that did $3 million in sales in 2022. That's a lot. It is a lot. And that, it's not $3 million in profit. He ended up spending like, I think, in I think average. It was a million dollars in average. Yeah, but his profit was over a million, I think. Yeah. Which is, again, a significant amount and cool story. But the reason I wanted to share about it, and it relates to our topic for today, is he shares in this podcast episode the first time he launched his course, which the first time he launched, it, put a lot of work into it, a lot, and he put it out in the world and he sold one copy. And not only that person, a few days later, asked for a refund. So he had that first time putting out, he, no uh, one bought it. Who that's kept it. devastating. I feel. And it relates to disappointment and relates to, you know, and I think that's a significant thing because that was the beginning of his journey. And later to have a course that he, he made over a million dollars in profit in one year is a significant change. But it does relate to dealing with disappointment in the starting process. So that's why I want to share it, but great cast. And that's episode 193. It'll be in the show notes. I know James had just copied it into there. Yep. As we're reporting and, and uh, said, 193 online course. Too much. From what I remember from the episode, he didn't change a whole lot about his course. He didn't change hardly anything about his course. He changed his se selling process. Like the branding and selling. The yeah. branding, but the course itself was the same, but went from, again, nothing. 
Yeah, and, that's incredible. And always it's worse than nothing to have one person buy and you're hoping for a lot more. <laughs> and then that one person asks for a refund. Uh, oh, man. It's hugely deflating. Yeah, but that's part of the process. And we'll be talking about that a little bit later in the show. My, my tip is a tech tip. It's kind of, if you're watching the YouTube channel, I have this Yeti blue microphone on a, on an arm. I think I bought it for, I like to buy things on sale. I think on new, it's like 189 on sale on Amazon. It's like 139, 149 for Christmas. You could probably get it a little cheaper, but it just makes life easier. And it makes, um, me sound a little better than just the onboard microphones. It has some cool features where if I had a guest in here, we could both use the microphone, just some sound settings, not a super technical guy, but there are like four settings for it. It's on an arm so I can, you know, I can move it in and out of the screen off my screen. It has rubber bands on it so that if I tap, I'm always tapping. I like I have trouble not moving or tapping my desk. So when I'm recording, the rubber bands absorb the shock. And so the mm. mic doesn't get any of that sound that happens with it. I bought to do recordings. And when, you know, when COVID came out, you know, like you don't, there was like lots and lots of remote meetings. So my tip, I guess, is if you're still doing remote meetings and you're fighting with your technology, just spend a hundred dollars to buy a great mic, a good mic. And it makes it like for anyone doing telehealth. And I think most people are doing yeah, some telehealth. Most people are going to do yeah. some sort of remote meeting. Yeah. And having good equipment for it. I mean, I'm looking at it, you know, I'll probably buy it. I mean, it is because I'm wanting to change some microphone. I, I use a, I have a Samsung that I use that's pretty basic and which is fine. You know, it's good enough, but I like the look of that. And I like James's setup for the, again, for those who are checking out the YouTube video, you can see it, but, but even if you're not just, you know, check out the link and it, I don't have to worry about it and it makes my life easier. And it was more, you spend a little money and you kind of get what you pay for. Like last episode, we talked about cars. You kind of get what you pay for. Yeah. Same thing. Do you think there's a risk we run in being too frugal? There's I, definitely risk. I in run being that risk all the time. Yeah. yeah. But there's a risk of being too frugal. We can create new headaches for ourselves and our desire to save yeah. a few dollars. All right, side sidebar. Yeah. You remember, I worked for a virtual assistant company for several years. And one of the things therapists used to do is they would have six systems to run one thing because they didn't want to get pay the money to the EHR company or something. And mm -hmm. they ended up spending, like some people were spending, they were they actually had to like hire somebody to do some of their insurance work that added complexity and human error instead of paying the few pennies or whatever. I know it's expensive, but instead of like buying the internal system that did it automatically, mm -hmm. they would hire a staff at $20, $30 an hour to do what the computer could do without error because humans are have some error. And they saved themselves maybe a dollar and created this massive system that was infuriating. The assistants are like, why are they doing it this way? It's making my job harder and it's costing them more money. But they were trying to save a nickel somewhere. Anyway, penny so. wise and dollar foolish. Oh, I'll get off and my soapbox because then it came back to me to, for management and like training. And they made it, you know, you know, they people would complain about the hours you're using, but you're using the hours because your system is just not optimized. You're trying to save a nickel here and you added three systems. Like, I have, you know, one Oof. of the things I talk about in this is because I have a course on creating 
mental health trainings and online trainings and person trainings and yeah, yeah. courses, you know, just under a thousand dollars. Sometimes we'll do sales related to webinars and things like that. But it, but even then it's still a significant investment for people. And, but one of the things I tell people is if you're going to spend all your money just to buy the course and you don't have anything left, you don't need to buy the course yet. Because in the course, I tell people, I do try to direct people in ways to economically start up. Sure. But there are softwares and subscriptions and things like that to really do it well you need to do. And I want to give people guides of how to do it as cheaply as possible. But I see people try to duct tape metaphorically their way into it. And they end up creating these really complex systems. And I, for example, I had one person who was trying to solve doing online courses without investing in a, an LMS, a learning management system. Oh, That's, a hosting place like Teachable, Kajabi, teachable, Kajabi Thinkific. And there's so many now. Yeah. And yeah, there, yeah, there's a lot of good ones. Anyways, so, go ahead. Yeah, there are a lot of good ones, but they were trying to figure out like how to do it, how to do it without doing it. And so what they ended up doing was creating a password protected page on their Squarespace site and yeah. then like embedding a YouTube video and yeah. it was all mm -hmm. this stuff. But they, what they had to do is like people would buy the course on PayPal and then they would, and then the therapist would get a notification and then they would have to email this person. And they created more work for themselves. Yeah. You had to, every time you had to look for the email, yeah. then you had to send the password. If they lost the password, you had to change it. If you, or anything, I, and they ran yeah. into like this person was sharing the password with other people and they didn't have a way around that or like somebody was sharing it. And so there were people that were taking it. And then like, once the person finished, they had an email to get the post test for to do the email. It, it was, they created I'm, I'm rubbing my head. Things. Like if you're not watching the video, I'm rubbing my head about they created all this work for themselves. And at the time <laughs> it, it's anyway, but being economical is usually wise to a point. Yeah. And, but we digress. So we're going to talk about disappointment. <laughs> uh, yeah. So this came up, I think, because we both listened to that the episode from the online course show about mm -hmm. the person who released the course and what how devastating it felt. Like he said, I sold one course and the guy asked for a refund. And we were talking about how that the process mm -hmm. is of the passive income and the online courses is not an overnight success because the title of the episode was something like I earned $3 million. Let me just pull it up. $3 million from one simple course in 2022. Wow. Featuring Matt Radinsky. And we're like, like, we're like, oh, wow, that's like awesome. How do we get that? But his story talks a lot about like perseverance and mm -hmm. disappointment and some of the stages of scaling when you're doing something new. So we were going to you know, yeah. talk about that. We're in the first few weeks of this podcast being live too. And part of what prompted yep. us, we were talking about like, well, what's, what are our downloads been like? And like, we appreciate for those who are in January, 2020, listening to it, we appreciate it, but you know, it's trying to look at where the numbers at, where do we want them to be, how to grow them. And there is a sense, regardless of sometimes of how we want to posture ourselves, whenever you when you start any endeavor, you want it to go well. And you For want, sure. yeah. if you're selling something or you're putting something out into the world, you want people to respond. 
And even if you have modest expectations, it doesn't change the different disappointments we have to grapple with, particularly when you feel you've done a lot of effort. Yeah, there, there's there's your expectations and then there's reality and then there's managing your thoughts when your expectations don't always meet the, the reality. James, for you, you've done, you know, you're, you've journeyed in quite a few different places professionally. Mm. Do you have any like particular anecdote that comes to mind about kind of managing a moment of disappointment in something you were trying to scale? Yes. So, well, let's talk about my current one. And then I'll, I'm sure I have some other things as I was running the virtual assistant business. Well, yeah. So I'm doing a, I am doing the beginner's guide to knowledge income, which is, is sort of like teaching therapists how to turn their expert knowledge into passive income. I saw, as I, as we talked about before, I hesitate to use the passive income because there's work involved. And the idea when I presented it, there were, there was some interest and I've run a pilot course and I've actually had a paid pilot course, which is awesome where I pre-sold some shows or pre-sold some courses and ran it through. And I, Thank you for those who took it. Thank you. Because as I teach in the course, you have to run your worst course to run your best course. Yes. And the experience and their feedback was invaluable for creating a better course. So I'm in the process of running it, but I've only been doing like this online course stuff since September, maybe 2022, like six months in. And I post on YouTube regularly. Maybe once or once a week, I post on social media. I post, I have blogs once a week. We're, we're now starting the podcast, right? To talk about scaling and growing. I've been on other people's podcasts. And so my, my hope what would be my like email list would be growing because as you know, social media is spectators and email lists are warm. You know, they're interested in what you want. They actually signed up to get something from you. Mm -hmm. And so my disappointment right now is I wish my email list was larger because I'm getting ready to launch. Uh, after I did the pilot course, took my lumps, learned some mistakes. I'm re-recording it all and breaking it into like 10 minute, 15 minute segments with an action step rather than one hour sessions with like six action steps, which was way too much. So I'm investing all this time, but I'm also seeing I'm investing in marketing type efforts and the numbers are growing, but not exactly where I would like them to be. So that is mm. where, as David, as we've talked, sometimes disappointment creeps in because mm. then you think you start comparing like this comparison to what other people are doing. And somebody's like, you know, I sign up for webinars myself and somebody's like, one of the one of the course creators is like, oh, there's like ten thousand people signed up for this webinar, and I'm like, oh my <laughs> word, how am I gonna ever compete with somebody uh -huh. who can get ten thousand people in a Facebook webinar, and I can get ten people to join my mailing list? Like it is, it is a there is a little bit of discouragement or disappointment that comes when you're not scaling as fast but you've had some journeys like that and you're kind of on the other you're not on the other side you have more experience in that did you experience some of that when you were starting yes yes and at different times and it hits in different ways part of it you know I, as i i shared in an earlier episode about a startup process of starting a psychiatry practice and 
I had to really learn. There was some marketing disappointment in that early on. I didn't really realize how much I needed to really, you know, drum up work and really kind of put out the call to get clients to come in. Right. And so there was a lot of slowness in that. And I was hitting it every day. I was, you know, every day I was making phone calls. I was visiting people's offices. I was, you know, and I appreciate what I learned and I learned a lot of persistence. And I think success, oftentimes we see people and we ascribe success sometimes to maybe brilliance. That there's something particularly special or innovative about oh, yeah. this person. Yeah. Sometimes there is. But we'll diminish the importance of perseverance. And I can tell you that perseverance is a much bigger thing. And every once in a while, you'll hear a story or you're, you will experience something that it feels like or it seems like something is very successful at the very beginning. And that does happen. It's, it's more the exception, but it does happen. But here's what I can reflect on the other side of that. Whenever that does happen for somebody, in the long run, it's not usually a net positive. And here's why. Oh, the, they grow really fast. Like they release one thing and they... Yeah, and it just hits. But here's you know, why I would say it's not usually a net positive. It's that they typically learn nothing. And they go to the next thing thinking that it will happen again. And it doesn't. And they have no clue how to fix it or address it. I was doing consulting a few years ago with somebody who was quite frustrating to talk to. And one of it was, is this was a person who had led a startup that had been successful and had been bought out. And this was their second startup. And it was in an industry I had expertise in. And so they had hired me as a consultant. Mm -hmm. And they were very uncoachable. Because they had success. They had they, success the first time. They were, but They were yeah. inoculated to advice. Yes. They assumed they were much smarter than they were. I had a lot of evidence based on just our conversations for their ignorance, but they assumed they were much smarter than they were because there's an, there's an idiom in American English. Oh, that is perfect. Yeah. There's an idiom in American English born on third thought he hit a triple. And for yeah. those who don't know baseball, what that means is this idea of you assume that you just land somewhere and that it was because of your skill that you got there and mm -hmm. not necessarily sometimes just circumstances play out a certain way, but that's not there's no virtue yeah. inculcated in that. And perseverance is part of it. So I'll give a practical example. I started a teaching business in 2011 and built it for a number of years. And I, but that was all in person. And how much I worked in it was different years. The first few years, I did a lot more in it. 2012, 2013, 14, I was doing a lot. 2015 was a very big year in the amount of activities I was doing. But at the end of 2015, I begun a new startup. And so this business, though it still existed, was very much on the back burner. And so between 2016 to 2018, I was pretty minimal in the business. And then 2018, I began ramping it up again. And I've begun doing my first online things in 2018. And... 2019 really began putting some serious things online. So at this point, 2011, 2019, I'd had this business for eight years. And there's a sense of like, I know what's, I know how this works and all that. I was completely ignorant about the idea of transitioning online, about how different mm -hmm. of a model it was going to be 
to do workshops, to get people to sign up, what people expected, what people would pay, all that. And it was a lot of hard lumps in 2019. I, you know, one of my big struggles was just trying to build up an email list. Right. And this was discouraging because I had a pretty successful in-person business, but I had not really done much to collect email addresses. I would go, I would do in-person workshops and how that would work is I would go to a city and I would, I was mostly doing marketing through like postcard mailing, uh, which at the time was pretty successful for me. Like, and it, it might still be, I don't know, I haven't done it in a few years, but, and, but I didn't have a lot of focus in collecting people's email addresses. I would go out and do this mass mailing. And if people signed up, I would sometimes keep their email address. I was so disappointed of. Just, I wouldn't be, I didn't focus on it. It wasn't part of my business model early on. If I had been focused on collecting and keeping email addresses, I would have been further ahead, but. Right. And, and then all of a sudden I'm focused on how do I build up an email list? And it was a struggle. And I had set a goal when I, I, the teaching platform I use at the time of recording and probably still amusing is teachable and one of the things that's great about Teachable, you sign up, they give you access to their online learning community, and they have a lot of it's classes really on like... It's a really good learning system. Yeah, like, and... Like all teaching. their tutorials and stuff. Really yeah, good. and it's super helpful. But one of the things they talk about in this idea of launching a course, putting it out in the world, is they really encourage you to have about a 500-person email list before you launch. And I would concur with that, that you really need... That's kind of a minimum viable number to do a big launch. It's not that you shouldn't do anything, but to manage your expectations of really like the 500 is in a good initial goal well, the, to hit. The, the stats are you sell one to 1.5% to your list. I yeah. don't know if that's, is that accurate for your? Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah. If you have 500 people, you're selling like five to seven, eight courses. Yeah. And on it, average. It, yeah. I know it, some it, people who sold like 50%, which was crazy but that's not typical it's rare and it will be but like i'm curious i'm actually gonna look at some numbers as i'm talking right now so uh, but while you look yeah um, my my philosophy of selling though is you are you're niched down far enough that you're inviting people to the destination that they already want to go it's not like when we talk about sales i'm not a salesy person i'm more like how can i help people get to the destination that i know how to get to that they can also achieve the same results. It's sometimes when you talk about numbers and things, it makes people feel like the product. That's not my philosophy. There's other people's philosophies. So did you Absolutely. find your... And, and it's the... Am I doing that right? So what's one What's 1% of 7,000? I'm just trying to figure out... 70? Yeah, yeah, 70. Yeah. So, so I, I would even say kind of less than that at times. It, it depends what I'm putting out and kind of if it's a low dollar or even a non... Right, a, well... Low, low commitment thing. I can get responses from things, but anyway, I digress. But here's the, you know, you, I spent so long and so much effort trying to build my email list up to hit 500. Cause I, I, I'd set a goal for that when I was moving things online and I tried some stuff that I thought, okay, this will be great. And you know, it's crickets. Yeah. And then you try some things and you try more things and the persistence really matters. You know, one of the things I did things as you tried, like, were you picking up skills? 
Yes. I mean, some of it is figuring out what, discover things that are stickier than others. And you discover things that are more, I talk about what's conducive to your personality and really kind of lean into that. And and sometimes you kind of do some drudgery. You do some kind of, one of the things I did was I don't particularly enjoy Facebook in this phase of my life. I was an early <laughs> Facebook person because uh, I'm of my age. I, Facebook was designed I got on Facebook back when you had to be a college student to be on Facebook. You had to have a .edu email address. And that's when I first joined. And it was great. I loved it then. Because it was really just my peer group on there. And it was just this kind of way to kind of catch up with people I hadn't seen since high school. Yeah. See what's going on. Share some things about your life. And there's some great literature from people like Jonathan Haidt, social psychologist. We're talking about like, you know, it's the introduction of different algorithm stuff, the like features in the late 2000 aughts, 2009, that really kind of made this sort of stuff a dumpster fire. I do not enjoy, I'll do it minimally because it is a way that I keep up with certain friends and things sure. like that, but it's not fun. But I realized that it was a way for me to be able to connect with cold contacts. And so I started a completely separate Facebook profile just for professional purposes. And I began systematically joining any kind of mental health professional-based community I could find. A lot of them were like regional. It'd be like Tampa Bay area mental health professionals. And I would have to get permission to join some of the groups. And they would say, like, are you in the Tampa Bay area? And I'd be like, no, but I offer services for people in the area. And sometimes people would be like, no, this is only four therapists in the area. And sometimes group administrators would let me join. And I would join as many as I could. And I was putting out my lead magnet at the time, which was at the time I had a free one hour ethics course. That was a way that and a lead magnet for those who aren't familiar. It's something you put out in the world to get email addresses. People opt in. You, right. And people don't they, just hand out their email address. They need, yeah. they do it for a reason. And the lead magnet is like, oh, this solves a little problem for me. I'm going to give my email address for it. So it might be a download. It might be, and you want to be careful. I was talking to somebody the other day of, they were telling me about how they were growing their email list. I'm like, I've got about 500 people. I'm like, oh, congratulations. That's a big number. I'm like, where are you getting them? And like, oh, I went online to the insurance companies, the people credentialed the insurance company and just loaded their emails. Oh no. And I'm like, oh, you want to be careful. I go, that's, people will spam you on that because people have not, agreed to be right. on your email list. I go, this is a dicey There's a reason thing. why there's an opt-in and a double opt-in. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. on that, so I was joining these Facebook groups and I was putting this out. And I thought this feels like a no-brainer. There, you know, there'd be, you know, hundreds to thousands of people yeah. in different groups. Like everyone's going to opt in for this. And it didn't work like that. I got people and it did kind of build a little momentum. And, but it was within like, I got a few hundred people to sign in, but there are thousands of people in these groups combined. And I got a few hundred people to give me their email address. They're not buying anything yet. This is just them giving me their email address to be able to access this free training. But over time and consistently, you know, and I, part of how I've been consistent is I, one of the things I've learned is I'll do some things that are free, but one of the things I particularly enjoy is I'll do webinars. I like doing them and, and a webinar for me is something free. I'll go live and for an hour teach on something. Right. And it's oftentimes connected to a paid product I have, but 
I want to give good value for the free thing. I don't want it to be one of the things I, I really try to do for my webinars is to, for the time I'm showing up, I want people who never buy anything from me still feel like this is a good thing. And most of us have done things where we'll do a free download or go to a free event and it's all pitch. It's all like super mm -hmm. salesy. And I don't like that. I don't enjoy right. pinning those. I don't. And I want to be able to share something that's quality for people. And it's been a consistent thing and I'll do them in partnerships and other people. And I've at this point in time recording, I've got a just short of 9,000 people on my email list. And I'm quite proud of that. I have goals. I'd like to see I work with people that have, you know, tens of thousands of people on their email list. I'd love to get there. Yeah. Uh, but in the four or so years time recording that I've been working on it. And, but I will say it wasn't symmetrical. I started in 2022 with about 3000 people on my email list. So it took me, you know, to go from like 200 to 3000 took me three years. And then I went from 3000 to 9,000 in one year. And you know, the, it, so it's not symmetrical. And that's part of the thing about growth too. And usually you get the least return for the beginning efforts. So whenever you start anything, your returns are going to be the most minimal. And that's one of the beauty things about scaling is over time, scaling does build its own momentum. Mm -hmm. It's not that you don't have to keep working it, but like you don't have to work as much to get sometimes multiples of the results you get early on when you're putting hours and hours into something. So we mentioned disappointment. So you're going to have to weather as it's growing, you're going to have to weather some of those thoughts and negative thoughts. I have a tip on that and I'm wondering what you think about it. And if you have, you know, how do you maintain persistence? And I think one of the other things is when do you know that you need to change tactics? You know, because from all, everything I've read, you know, five, six months is like, infancy for this content creating type stuff like you haven't done it long enough to see if it's going to work or not here's my big tip and i think this was from a mike mccallowitz book about negative thoughts i forget how he frames it enabling beliefs i think is how he framed it because in your head as if things go wrong or they're not going let's say your list isn't growing the negative thought is nobody likes my stuff or nobody's going to buy my stuff or some sort of thought where a, a disaster, like it's a disaster and I'm never going to sell anything to anybody. But the, he said, write, write all those thoughts down on one side of the piece of paper. And then on the other side of the paper, reframe it or put some truth into it. The truth is the numbers are small. And so the false would be, the false thought would be, I'm never going to sell anything. The truth is everybody who starts something new starts at zero. <laughs> the truth is like, you are not any different than anybody else who's ever started something on out on their own. You know, another negative might be, oh, I'm not earning, you know, I'm spending all this time and money and I'm not getting any effort. And then the negative thought would be, I, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, the return on investment is going to be low and not whatever. But mm -hmm. the truth is it's expensive to start. You're mm -hmm. starting the flywheel and it's going to take a lot of effort in the beginning, but the consistency pays off it. Yes, it's hard, but there you mm -hmm. have the goal. So you like take the negative thought 
write them down and then reframe it and add truth to it, which allows you to capture your negative thoughts. Often, if you don't know you have negative thoughts, I don't know if you, you know about this, you, or this is your experience. If you don't capture it, you just sit with it and live in that negative thought. And then it becomes the truth, even though it's mm. not the truth. So that's my tip. What do you think about that? And do you have a- I agree in general. I do have a qualifier. Well, you know, you're a psychologist. So. Sure, sure. And so there's- you Do this more than I do. So Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Here's the qualifier. Sometimes you do need to change tech because I will say, I've shared before in a startup process, I kept my head down too long. And just thought, like, more time, put more energy, put more money. Yeah, yeah. And in the end, it wasn't a viable concept, at least the way I was doing it. It wasn't viable. It was a viable thing I was doing. The way I was doing it was not viable. Right, right. I believe there are only two teachers in the world. Your personal experience of discomfort and pain or somebody else's that you get secondhand. That is all lessons throughout history can be reduced to those two things. And you can either learn at your own expense or somebody else's. Mm -hmm. And so here's my, what I, I like that exercise, the idea of kind of writing things down. But part of how you test things is whenever you're starting anything, seek out counsel, seek mm -hmm. out coaching, find blogs, find podcasts. There are people that have done, that have walked your journey to a certain degree. Maybe not exactly what you're trying to do, but there's somebody out there that's done something. Because in, when you lack your own experience, the only other thing to teach you is somebody else's. And now there is a certain discernment of figuring out, like, have I done this long enough? But for example, this idea of someone, let's say you're launching a marketing campaign on Facebook or just meta. So Facebook, Instagram, mm -hmm. it's usually it's together. And you're trying to decide, like, have I let a campaign go enough or have I spent enough on it to get a result? That's a hard thing to determine if you've never done it before. And that's something that if I was seriously looking at that, I would want to talk to other people who have run Facebook campaigns and or read things about it of like, how long does it typically take? What are the metrics that I need to set for myself, which is I need to run this for six months, be willing to spend this amount of money yeah, to expect this result. Otherwise, we're just kind of feeling our way through it now. But the benefit of that too, it's a way when we realize like, oh, the norm for this is I've got to take six months in this process. So it's having persistence and knowing when to pivot and you often need modeling for that. But I'll give an example of persistence for me and where this, so 2019, I began doing things online and that's the year I started Psych Maven. I had done teaching under another brand before, but I began the teaching group, I currently work in Psych Maven as a more collaborative sort of thing with this idea before it was mostly me and Psych Maven was started as I wanted to work with other teachers and, and have a more collaborative process. So I had a new brand kind of out and one of the people that had coached me in teaching before was somebody who I do a lot of collaboration with now, Bill O'Hanlon, who is a famous psychotherapist. He's retired now, but he's written over 40 books and by far the most famous therapist I knew. And I had done different things with him in the years leading up to it. And when I, I published my things on Psych Maven, I published things on LinkedIn and Bill sent me a message, be like, congratulations. I go, I'd love to do a collaboration with you. And I'm thinking like, oh my gosh, I would love to do a collaboration with wow. him. You know, had run successful online courses, had large audience. This is a no brainer. I want to do this. And so I began reaching out to Bill about like, hey, you still want to do something? Nothing. 
And I had Bill's cell number. Like I'm texting him, I'm trying to call him, I'm emailing him, nothing. And I'm having this feeling of like, he doesn't want to do this. I'm bothering him. He's just mm -hmm. ignoring me. And it was very disappointing. But then I came across something and this is what helped. So I read about this razor and it's a, as a conceptual sort of thing. Most people know like Occam's razor, which is, um, uh, the simplest is what is Occam's razor now? Like the, yeah, I think when there's no other option, the simplest is the answer. Yeah. The simplest is the answer. We kind of in that. And so it's it a, finish your story. Yeah, yeah, finish story. <laughs> okay. So I came across Hanlon's razor, which I not seen before. So what's significant, I'm talking about Bill O. Hanlon. And this is Hanlon's razor. So no O, but still the same name. And Hanlon's razor states, never ascribe to malice what can be adequately ascribed to ignorance or neglect. So I assumed that he was mad at me or irritated with me. I didn't have evidence for that. I lacked evidence, but that's what I assumed. And what Hanlon's razor says, like, assume he's just not paying attention. Now. I had to take a leap in that to say, and so I read that. And what I said to myself is I'm going to reach out to him about once every three weeks. And I set reminders for it until he responds, until he says, basically buzz off or <laughs> yes. And I did it for several more weeks after that. And we, I went into the Christmas holiday in 2019 and he finally responded to something. And it was like, oh yeah, I've been meaning to get back to you. And here's the thing about Bill. You know, Bill is a very, he's very ADHD. And when he's focused on something, he's all in that. And at the time, 2019, Bill was at the beginning stages of his career as a Nashville-based songwriter. And his, he was 100% kind of in that. So this was a late career change for him. He works as a songwriter now. Wow. And this was just, I was just kind of background noise because I was not in what he was focused on. He was absolutely yeah. focused on this. And he, there was no malice intent. He was just being him. And I determined to stay with it. And he finally responded. And here's the thing. It was several more months before we got anything going. He just said like, oh yeah, we'll do it. Honestly, we finally got something going together in collaboration during COVID lockdown. It was in March of 2020, where all of a sudden he's stuck at home and can't go out and do songwriting stuff that he's like, we've got stuff going. Yeah. And here's the yeah. thing. Now we work pretty regularly together. We're in a certain rhythm, but it's been a huge impact for me in growing a business because oh, I, I, it, took me light years ahead in growing Psych Maven because I, I was able to have an established teacher as a part of the collaborative mm -hmm. with an established audience. And we would not have grown to the extent if it wasn't for the collaboration with him. Yeah, but, that, that's a great story. But the, there's like the principles of persistence and also the principles of the you know, don't ascribe to neglect or... Don't ascribe to malice. Malice. What, what can be neglectful. Yeah. Most people aren't mean. Right. On yeah. purpose. They're just kind of thoughtless. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And often I think Crucial Conversations, I think was the book mm -hmm. where they talked about if you don't know something, you, you make assumptions. And if you assume the worst, like it impacts your behavior when you're talking about conflict or even like trying to partner with somebody. If you assume the worst, oh, I'm bothering them or they don't, don't want to be with me or I'm, you know, I'm, I don't matter to what they're doing. You're going to stop reaching out right. and then you're going to miss out where it could have been something. Well, it was something completely different than what you were thinking about. 
And it's something that I had, I wanted to quit, but I made a determination not to based on evidence, based on, I didn't have any reason to believe that he didn't like me beyond just his lack of responsiveness. But I also had reason to believe like Bill had in his frequently asked questions section on his website said, Hey, I sent an email to Bill and he hasn't got back to me. He goes, ah, oh, Bill's pretty disorganized and gets distracted. And like, that was yeah, that is FAQ. <laughs> so he'd give me reason to believe that this wasn't malicious. Yeah, that's funny. And, but we get ego fragile and we want to, but most things that are rich for us experientially, financially, otherwise take a lot of perseverance. So let's kind of circle back as we wrap up about the podcast show, the online course show, what happened to the guy? Like what was like his journey to oh, make for, for Matt Rinsky, like, well, listen to that episode one, but oh, yeah. online course show. Listen to the episode. but to give it a, like he was part of it was that he was persistent and he did like, you look at data having KPI and mo a lot of businesses, and that would be maybe key a good performing indicator, yeah, key performance indicators of you, you want to have objective measurements that you're looking at. And as you learn these over the years, I'll share a quick one that, cause I talk about, I love doing webinars and I learned, I had, a, it took me doing paying for a coach who knew mm -hmm. webinars to be able to help me learn things about doing webinars. And that was, a, it was absolutely worth investing in. But I, I ended up, I worked for a year with an online marketing consultant, Andy Ryan, who I, he actually features in one of my webinars because I talk about my work with him. But he taught me a lot about webinars. I didn't know about the matrix of webinars. Of what should I be looking mm -hmm. for? But here are some key numbers I learned. You get people sign up for a webinar. You want to aim for about a 40% show up rate. And because that was a disappointment, I would do a webinar and I've got 20 people signed up. And six people would show up yeah. and I'm so disappointed. I'm like, yeah, why don't they like me? And the rule is <laughs> they signed up for something free. And so the commitment to show up pretty low. Uh, we've mentioned like those discouraging thoughts over and over. They're invasive. Yeah. But yeah. But I learned that like, if I get 40% of people who sign up for a webinar to show up for a webinar, pretty good. And it's actually gone lower for me over the years. And part of that is, is my as my email list grows, I have a lot more people internationally. And so doing something live is really time zone contingent. My early list was disproportionately people in Central and Eastern time in the United States because my, the, all the live events I did for the most part were in, right. I did, I don't think I did a self-sponsored event in mountain or Pacific time. So everything I did was within two time zones. So I would have a much proportionally higher show up rate because I'd be doing things live in in effective times for people but i did a webinar the other week it was at 4 p.m in my time zone eastern time i had people in australia in it and they were on they were talking about it was 7 a.m for them i was impressed that they showed up but like the fact i had other people for australia sign up and that they just want to catch it in the replay that's fine right live and that's the thing too if like if you offer a replay often people will know like well i can catch the replay and they'll do that so 40% is a good number. You might be less. And then I was looking, if I'm selling something, if I have 5% of people that are in the event by the thing, that's a good number. And that's only if I'm selling something. And so you have, you look at these numbers and so you kind of keep on going down and you have hundreds of people sign up for something free you're doing and you only sell a few of your 
whatever you're selling. That's actually not necessarily bad. That's using reality. Like reality is you're not going to sell, even though you might think, oh, I'm going to sell a hundred copies. It's much lower, but that doesn't mean it's bad or it's the wrong thing. It's just the nature of the process. That's actually a good number. So what the expectations are matters and just being well-informed, which can happen when you have a coach or you know, you're, you subscribe to some, somebody that gives you advice can really make a big difference on how you're thinking and feeling about your scaling journey. Yeah. But, and the online course, you know, he just, you stay persistent. Like he just retooled a lot of things in his pitch. And as James was alluding to in this particular, he didn't change much about his offering of what it actually was, but he did change about how he put it out in the world and how he sold it. And you try stuff, you take data, everything though needs to be, you want to do, if you're trying to figure out how to grow, you do need to figure out how to systematize gathering information. You figure out, because unless you know what's working, it's hard to do more of it. That's a good point. So that's, that's my one tip. That's my, that's my tip as we, as we reach the end, yeah. or my one takeaway. You cannot know what's working unless you, unless you Take any information, you can't know what's working. And so be persistent and collect data. Good. My one thing I want people to know is there's no win in comparison. Mm -hmm. If you're comparing yourself to, I think Gordon said this, like Mm -hmm. if you compare yourself to somebody else's, actually, you told me this in a previous episode. I'm just saying it over again. But it's a good line. But but don't compare uh, your beginning to somebody else's middle. Yeah, don't compare your beginning to somebody else's middle. And everybody starts at the beginning, like you are starting at the beginning and your journey is going to lead you to growth that you need. Instant success is not always a blessing. So don't get caught in that comparison trap. So that's my thing. Absolutely. All right. Well, uh, thank you, David. Thanks, James. This is James Marland with Dr. David Hall. You've been listening to the Scaling Therapy Practice. We'll see you next time. See ya. Thanks so much for listening to the show. Uh, We're going to do the disclaimer here. Uh, I had AI write me a disclaimer in the voice of Han Solo from the movie Star Wars. So here we go. Hey there, kid. It's your favorite cowboy, Han Solo. Now, before we wrap up this episode of Scaling Therapy Practice, there's a couple of things I need to get off my chest. First of all, Let me make it clear that the advice and information shared on this podcast is intended for education and entertainment purposes only. We're not medical professionals, tax accountants, or lawyers, and we don't claim to be. So if you're looking for serious advice, you're better off talking to somebody who's licensed in that area. Secondly, I want to remind you that the opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host and guests. They don't represent the views of our sponsors, affiliates, or anybody else for that matter. And lastly, we want to remind you that you're the captain of your own therapy practice. So use your noggin and make smart decisions that work for you. Well, that's it for today's episode of the Scaling Therapy Practice. Thanks for tuning in. And, oh, this is so corny. May the force be with you. Thanks for listening. Thank you, AI, for writing this. I'm sure it would be much more awkward if if I did it without AI, right? Right? Okay. 
See you next episode.